Welcome to the Brent Boone Podcast. As we sit down and explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brent Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a six-time Major League All-Star and World Series champ, Ron Say. Baseball stuff! Baseball stuff! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a six-time All-Star, and he was a member of the 1981 L.A. Dodgers World Series Championship team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ron Say. Ron, thanks for coming on the program. Brett, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, recently, I just had, uh, and I'm interested for you, you were a teammate of his. I just had Dusty Baker on. We were talking about all the years of him managing. He won a World Series with you in 81. But were you watching, pulling for Dusty? It seems like everybody was pulling for Dusty. Now, I'm getting a little bit older now, so I've got buddies that I played with, played against. They're managing. You know, I keep my eye out. I watch my brother in New York. Uh, but did you have a special eye on that, being that you were teammates for a while and, and – uh, what would you think of him finally winning as as a manager? He's been doing it so long. Well, I mean, uh, certainly I was pleased that he won. Uh, finally, uh, you know, he's uh, he's had a heck of a career uh, as a manager as well, and come close a few times. Uh, but this year was the uh, the the one that uh, was finally able for him to break through the uh, the last door there. Uh, the only problem that I had with it was. Uh, it was the Houston Astros and uh, the Astros, of course, here a few years ago, uh, got caught up in that scandal that uh, also uh, touched on uh, my side of the fence, which was the Dodgers at that point in time. And uh, Dodger fans weren't happy about uh, the Houston Astros uh, getting away with, uh, you know, uh, a, a major a major thing that happened. Uh, they got a pedestrian fine. Uh, my, my feeling was that if you would have stripped the title, left it vacant and, uh, let, a, let them have the money that they made during the course of the playoffs, but, uh, take the ring away. I think, uh, that would have been a better resolve, uh, for the situation But as it is, uh, you know, we had the pandemic that was, uh, kind of hand in hand with this period of time. And so the Astros really never as a, as a team, as a group of players, got to really hear the wrath of the fans. And so I think Dodger fans in particular were most upset with that. But as a, uh, as a teammate and a friend of Dusty Baker, I'm glad he got that done. But uh, that was the other side of that story. It was amazing too. When that, uh, when that kind of scandal broke to me, I was, I was in the MLB studio and Dusty, when I, when I heard the news that Dusty, was taking over the reins of, of the Astros. And I just thought, you know, you were teammates with him. I never played. I, I never had a conversation till recently with Dusty Baker, but I played against him for years. I was the other. And for some reason, he has a way about him. He makes you feel like you've, you've been buddies for years. I mean, I'd come onto the field, you know, no matter who he was managing, the Giants, <clears throat> Uh, whoever it was during his tenure. And I was on the other team. And I'd walk out of the field. Dusty'd wave at me like we were long lost buddies. And he made you feel that way. So I remember they hired him. And I, and I think he has that, 
that kind of impact on a lot of people, teammates, guys he's played with, played against. You never hear anything, anybody say anything negative about him. And when they hired when they hired him in Houston, I thought that's brilliant for for the organization to to kind of shield them from what was going on at the time. My feelings, exactly. Uh, if there was a hire out there available that could have screened this thing, uh, it would have been Dusty. Uh, he comes from a place that had nothing to do with what happened in the past, so he didn't really have to answer any questions that were very uncomfortable. Uh, the manager, the general manager, all those people had been fired and moved on. So in order to, uh, you know, rectify this thing, uh, they hired, I think, the perfect guy. And, uh, of course, once again, you know, the pandemic played a, a, an important role in this because they didn't have to play in front of fans the first year, if you remember. And so I, I think that uh, they were able to uh, get away with the easy side of this punishment. And uh, I think that uh, he was the perfect guy put in place. And uh, I understand he's coming back for another year. Um, I know he's having a good time, but, uh, you know, Bake has that way about him. Um, you know, he he still goes back to that time when you kids, you guys, I mean, you and your brother were on the field with your dad. And so we remember all of that, just like the Griffey kids, you know. And uh, uh, we used to get a kick watching you guys shag out there and play around and have a good time. And, and you guys are all in your uniforms and you'd converse with us. So it was, it was a special time. And I'm, uh, and I, and I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to have my son be a part of that as well. So uh, it, it means a lot to me that family was included in those things. And I think the fact that you had a relationship uh, with us and, and Dusty for some of those guys who were well in front of you, um, and you were part of the baseball family, uh, all helped. Uh, we, we, we recognized that we appreciated it. And uh, I think we all treated each other like family. Yeah. You, you know, Dusty did touch on that. And he talked about, you know, that, that famous, uh, game in the postseason when his son had to get kind of rescued from home plate. Right. You know, he was little at the time and Dusty said it, and I was kind of shocked by it. He said, he said, Booney, you know what? He said, when we were playing and, and you had that big rival and we'll get into that later. It was so cool. And I have so many great memories of those Dodger Phillies playoff games. I, I still remember them like they were yesterday, but he said, Booney, we used to sit there and watch you guys, you kids when we were playing. And he said, then when I became a manager, I wanted my kids to, to be able to uh, experience that. And I thought that was pretty cool because back in the day in the seventies, when my dad was playing for the Phillies, I mean, I had carte blanche. I had my uniform. I come to the ballpark. Now, once the game started, my dad would kind of, you know, throw down the gauntlet, say, Hey, you, you get out of here now. And I'd be like, dad, I want a bat boy. He's like, no, you bat boy in spring training, but he didn't let me once the game started such a cool time for me. Um, <clears throat> and still, and I, and I speak about it all the time. Probably people get sick of me talking about it. But those 70s years for me as a kid, formidable years growing up, watching your guys, your Dodgers, you know, once in a while when they made that one, because back then it was one West Coast trip, you know, and it was interesting because there was only two teams. There were only four teams in the playoffs in the American and National League to decide that World Series. Um, but I'd get if dad would let me go and, and go to the West Coast. I loved it. I remember watching, you know, that that great Dodger team with you, and especially that infield. 
uh, so cool. And it can't really be replicated today. And, and everybody out there listening, it's Ron Say, it's Steve Garvey, uh, Russell and Lopes. I'm envious as a player. My time, you know, I started in the 90s. Uh, I finished in the mid 2000s and I had one partner up the middle for the, the longest tenure I had was uh, Barry Larkin and myself in Cincinnati. And I did that for five years and I, I felt spoiled to death. Like, wow, you know, you get a little bit of a kinship, a little bit of a you can finish each other's sentences. Almost the double play comedy. I was so comfortable with him and him with me. But having all four of you for a long time, uh, it, it can't really happen in today's game with the finances and, and free agency and moving around. For me, I love it from a fan standpoint. I think they kind of hooked into you guys and it was just, hey, that's the Dodger. That's that iconic Dodger infield. Talk about that a little bit. And and today, is it obviously as players, if, if you and myself were, were starting off our career today, we'd be pretty happy with the finances and, and the contracts the way they are. But do you think something in the game, it, it's missing because they you're never going to have that Dodger infield again in, in today's modern game? Well, you know, we were very fortunate. You know, we had a group of guys who really bought into what we were trying to accomplish. And uh, we were successful individually. We were successful as a team. That also helped keep the infield together. And uh, it was uh, 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 necessary uh, for that to happen. Uh, although we did put a major dent into the uh, Dodger farm system for that 10-year period. There wasn't a soul that broke in on the infield and they had to go elsewhere to play. Uh, you know, we, uh, we eventually got our outfielder, Dusty Baker, uh, Rick Monday, Reggie Smith, uh, Kenny Landro, all by way of trades. Um, but the nucleus of the team was in the infield. We were all homegrown, which is another aspect of it. Uh, we were injury free. Um, uh, it will not be duplicated again. Uh, people don't stay in the same place uh, uh, that long anymore. Uh, although now you see some of these huge contracts they're getting for 10, 12 years, whatever. Uh, I'm not so sure that's a great idea, but uh, they don't ask me those kinds of things anymore. But uh, we were very fortunate. You know, we, uh, we, had, a, we had an organization that really was behind us. Um, we, we had a, a, a great amount of success. We had uh, uh, guys that uh, really understood the challenges and responsibilities of, of uh, representing the Dodgers and their fan base and their families and hardworking group. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was, in fact, the longest running and most successful, by fact, infield in Major League history. I won't say it was the greatest infield of all time because there could have been an infield that was put together for a year or two that might have surpassed that. But in terms of what we accomplished as a group, nobody even got halfway home with what we did. So we're all very pleased with that. We also had the uh, the first uh, 30 home run foursome in Major League history. It was Baker, Garvey, Smith, and myself. And... Uh, uh, we, we just had a, 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 a great uh, run at it. Um, us, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, the other side of that was the, the Phillies and the Pirates and the Expos. Um, you know, those two teams that we played back-to-back, -back, Phillies, you know, 
77 and 78. Uh, we had a walk-off in the last game of 78, which you probably remember, because I was the one who scored the winning run on Bill Russell's uh, uh, a single to center field off Tug McGraw, and your dad was standing at home plate watching me stomp on it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Bob, your, your father and I go back a long ways. We go all the way back to when I was 18 years old when he was playing with the uh, Fairbanks Gold Panners up in Alaska. And I don't know if he told you much about that, but, uh, you know, they had a terrific team that was based around uh, UCLA, USC, and Stanford. And uh, they played in the NBC bracket of semi-pro baseball and uh, had a great, uh, great opportunity to play against them. And then, of course, I was a back eight guy like your dad was. I went to Washington State and was at Stanford. So we had a, we had a relationship there going in and, um, I'm very, very pleased that, uh, you know, I, I had an, I had a, had a camaraderie with a lot of the Philly players, you know, with Bonesy and Schmitty and Carlton and, uh, many others, Pete Rose when he got over there. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that the Phillies also had an opportunity to experience you know, a world championship during that period of time because they had a team that uh, really deserved to celebrate that as well. Yeah, and Dusty mentioned, he goes, Booney, if it wasn't for us, he goes, the Phillies might have had a, a huge run in the late 70s. They, they eventually won in 80. Uh, I didn't know you played. Where, where did you? Oh, you were on that. That's right. Because dad played for Fairbanks. My freshman year in college, I went and played for Fairbanks. And Washington State was in the league. And Bobo Brayton, who was your skipper, was yeah. your coach in college with the helmet. I still remember it because at the time, Johnny Olerud uh, right. was on Washington State, and they were in that Fairbanks League. That Wow, that's a small world right there. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, we had a chance to go up to uh, Fairbanks, and uh, we spent a week up there. We had a six-game series. We played in the, uh, the, the Midnight Sun game. Uh, after we uh, got finished with that game, we went and ate, and it was uh, like four o'clock in the afternoon rather than four o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know that we, we we stayed at the University of Fairbanks, and we lined our windows with a tinfoil. Yeah, yeah. So we could get some sleep, but uh, it was a great experience. We had a lot of fun there. They had a terrific team. They had that uh, 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 Bill Seinsoth and Rick Ganulin and Pat Harrison. They had uh, Bill Lee, Bill. S uh, 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 Shelly Andrens, your dad played third. Um, uh, there was, uh, Mike Adamson, who was a first round draft pick out of USC, Tom house, they had a ton of guys up there and it was a great experience for us. Bobo Brayton. He's, he's kind of iconic when it, you know, when it comes to college coaches, I mean, I looked at it and I saw that name. And I thought, wow, Ronnie played for Bobo. He's been around a long time because he, he he went through my time in college, which, you know, I was there 88, 89, 90. Did he coin you with did he coin you with the uh, your nickname Penguin? Yeah, yeah, he did. He's the one. He's the originator. And of course, Tom Lasorda uh, caught on to it after I signed up my sophomore year. Uh, I only played one year of varsity uh baseball at Washington State because we didn't have freshman eligibility back in the back eight back then. Um, and so I signed after my sophomore year. He had coined me the Penguin, sort of picked it up, took all the credit for it, had to <laughs> remind him that uh, <laughs> he was in there. 
But uh, yeah, Bobo was great. <clears throat> he was probably the one person that swayed me to go there. You know, he was an ambassador of baseball. He won over a thousand games in his career, much like Rod Dato at USC, but a, a number of more national champions uh, in his in his pocket. But uh, we had a very competitive group uh, back then. Uh, we beat Stanford. We beat USC in conference. Uh, we only, we did not have regionals. We had we had three teams ranked in the top ten: Stanford, uh, SC, and uh, we were at number eight. We only played thirty eight games uh, because of weather, and uh, we beat Stanford when I believe they were number one at um, uh, in Palo Alto, and I hit a home run in the ninth inning to win the game. Uh, so that was a big deal. We we faced Sandy Vance, who was their ace back then. Um, Bill Lee was and Jim Barr were pitching a doubleheader against us in uh, at at, uh, at at Washington State against USC, and we were able to split a doubleheader with them. But uh, it was a very very competitive league. Ken Forge pitched up at Oregon State at the time. Don Rose, I believe, was pitching at Stanford as well. Uh, there were others, but uh, we had a very, very talented group. But there was only one representative out of our league that got to go to the College World Series, and it was uh, USC. And <laughs> they won the national championship. But we had three really quality teams, and uh, because we were all in the same group, um, we, were, we weren't eligible for postseason play. <clears throat> Yeah, very cool. I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, now you're kind of bringing me back. I went to USC. We didn't win any national championships when I was there, but it it's the never ending. You talk about it. It was the it was the pack eight when I was there. It was the pack six. Now it's back to the pack. Whatever they're playing everybody. But right. uh, when I was there, we didn't play Washington State. We didn't play UW. Right. It was just us, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona it was North State. And South, I right. think it's just north and south. Yeah, right. Uh, you mentioned Tommy. Obviously, you talk about uh, ambassadors of the game. Uh, he was unbelievable. Another guy that I, pl- I played uh, against for years and years and, and just looked at the other side and thought, what, what, what's it like to play for Tommy? But just being a Dodger in general, it's different. Being a Dodger is different in so many ways. It's almost like being a, a Yankee on the, other, on the other coast. It's the only stadium on the West Coast where – you look up and you've got Hollywood coming to the game every night. And, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a fashion show. It's different. And it always has been. How did you feel about being a doctor? Did you feel that, that it was a special place? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the Dodger organization under the O'Malley ownership were, uh, we were all family uh, as it developed, excuse me, over a period of time. But um, you know, the history and tradition, um, it was right up my alley. Um, you know, I had won pretty much uh, throughout my entire career in the minor leagues, A ball, double A, triple A ball, winter league, uh, instruction league, you name it, we won. And uh, if this didn't translate into winning at the big league level, then, you know, we ought to go, I'll go do something different. But it did, it translated. And Tommy was a big factor in that. But um, we had a, a history and tradition that was laid down before us. And uh, we had our own plane, the KO-2, back then. And uh, we had uh, everybody else in baseball was flying commercially back then. 
And so not only did they want to beat the Dodgers because of the history and tradition, but because of Hollywood, the glitz and the glamour, because of the Dodger plane, um, we have a we have a bullseye, a big blue bullseye in the middle of our forehead. And they, everybody wanted a part of us. And we knew that uh, we weren't going to be just playing the Cincinnati Reds today. We were going to play the Cincinnati Reds every day with everybody else in the league. That's how bad they wanted to beat us. And uh, there was, there was, uh, it just meant something better. It's just like winning the World Series against the Yankees. Excuse me, has a little bit more zing to it than, say, another team. And you know, the Yankees have the greatest history and tradition of all baseball. We can live another hundred years. And the Yankees will still be on top of that. There is so much of a separation between them, and I believe the Cardinals have the second number of World Series wins with 11, and they are in the National League, of course. But uh, 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 it was uh, it was just an honor uh, to be able to play and represent and to be a part of so many different things that we did. You know, the talk about the infield, talk about the 30 home run force, and you're talking about a, a, a history and tradition that was was changed when Jackie Robinson came into the game. Uh, all of it, you know, uh, uh, Koufax and Trysdale and, you know, all of it. It was just so great. Uh, uh, two, two Hall of Fame managers and Walter Alston and Tom Lasorda. Um, you know, it was just – and Tommy, Tommy took the grasp took it by the hands, uh, wrapped it around him every single day. He loved being that ambassador, and he loved to be star of the show. Um, and, and he did it in, in a great way. Uh, so, yeah, there was tremendous things that happened during the time we were here, and we had a lot to, you know, prepare ourselves for. But I, I think that part of our success was based around the fact that we knew that we were going to get everybody's best day in and day out, and we had to be prepared just a little bit better each and every day than the other teams. After your Dodger days, you went to Wrigley, and you and you actually you had some pretty pretty big years uh, as a Cub. What was the contrast going from being that that Dodger legacy that you talk about to going to Chicago, another iconic team? Uh, I personally, I love playing at Wrigley Field. Never got to play there as a as a home team, but I love coming in there. Well, and as you know, and, and you wake up in the morning and you think, is that wind blowing in? Is that wind blowing out? Because that's that's the 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 whole difference. It's either a it's either a three iron or it's a wedge. <laughs> and uh, I remember yeah. I'd get up and and I'd be asking, all right, how do we know early in the morning? You know, I'm at breakfast. Which way do you think it's blowing? Is there any tests? Um, Talk about Chicago a little bit. I, I, you know, for me, my my teams were pretty much, you know, I I played for the for the Braves for a year, the Padres, but my teams are the Reds and and the Seattle Mariners. And there were two guys, uh, you know, big time broadcasters. Marty Brenneman was one for the for the uh, Cincinnati Reds, who's retired, and Dave Dave Niehaus for me uh, was a big one in Seattle, who passed away. You had two of the biggest of all time. You had Harry Carey in Chicago, and you had Vin Scully. Did you have a relationship with them? And uh, if so, chat oh, a little bit about Vinny, it. With Vinny, yeah. Vinny, actually, before he passed away here uh, uh, in the last year or so, uh, only lives probably two miles from me. And so I, I uh, 
uh, we were always in the neighborhood. And uh, uh, so, yes, over a period of time, uh, you know, we 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 had a relationship. Uh, it, it was just so much different than any other organization. It's really kind of hard to put into words all the different ways of which it was. But no, I was I was disappointed when I went to Chicago. Uh, I I uh, I wanted to finish my career as a Dodger. Uh, you know, not too many players get an opportunity to do that. And um, I had a, a private conversation with Peter O'Malley, which I still have a relationship with today. He's a mentor of mine. And um, uh, he just told me that he thought it would be in, in everybody's best interest and he would help as much as he could to move this process along. And, of course, I ran into uh, Dallas Green, and you know who Dallas Green is. And uh, that was another uh, 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 good thing that happened because uh, my relationship with Dallas, not only as a, as a coach, uh, manager, general manager for the Phillies, but uh, we were very, um, very familiar with each other. And so when I had an opportunity to sit down with Dallas about this opportunity to come to Chicago, um, you know, he he pretty much uh, gave me a plan of his. And uh, to his credit, uh, he was worth every good word of it. And I rolled the dice a little bit with him. And he promised me that he was going to rebuild this team as quickly as possible. And he brought a lot of Philly players over there. We had Moreland, Denier, and Matthews. We had Sandberg and Boa. We had Stoddard. We had Bruce Starr. Uh, I know I'm going to probably leave some guys out. But, you know, he knew who was available and who could be gotten. And he brought them over there. And we reestablished this team in a very short period of time. And then here comes Eckersley and here comes Sutcliffe. And uh, now all of a sudden, you know, we've got some uh, and actually he got he, he gave me a call when Sutcliffe was available. And this didn't happen in my career. Uh, got the general manager calling me and asking me uh, about this player that he's got a chance to get. And uh, I said, this guy's a bulldog. He's going to give you the innings. He's he's a good athlete. Um, he can swing the bat a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, he's, I said he won 17 games his rookie year here with Dodgers. So if you have an opportunity to get him, go get him. And next thing you know, he's, uh, he's coming on board. And uh, <clears throat> if you remember, uh, this made me look really good. <laughs> he went 16 and one and won the Cy Young Award. And he never got to us until May. And, of course, uh, uh, Eckersley was part of our rotation, as was Scott Sanderson, uh, Dick Ruthven, another Philly, and uh, uh, um, uh, Trout. So, and then we had Lee Smith as our closer back then. So we had a really good club with Leon Durham at first, uh, Jody Davis behind the plate. It kind of fills in the rest of the infield. And Bo and I were <clears> – <throat> Um, you know, uh, friends for a long period of time and still think Larry doesn't get quite as much credit as he did, uh, although he was an all-star caliber player and all that, a world champion. But uh, Larry was uh, one of the best defensive shortstops uh, that I ever had a chance to watch. Yeah, Larry, we had him on the program. I mean, I remember, you know, once again, you're bringing me back to my childhood and, right. and getting to run through those locker rooms. <clears throat> and it was... 
you mentioned Bowie. You know, he always had the big mouth and he was always popping off. And, and I remember those days where it's almost like Bo would be the mouth and then he'd hide behind Bull. And, and exactly. you know, for yeah. those of you listening out there, Bull, when I refer to Bull, that's that's Greg Luzinski. But that was kind of his protector. And after a while, Bull would look at him like, you little shit. You, you know, and, and uh, I, I don't know. I just so many fond memories for me when, when you bring up those guys. Yeah, well, we, you know, look, we uh, the rivalry was there. Uh, the friendship was there. Uh, I was a little bit concerned about the friendship. You know, um, you know, the fraternization rule was uh, well in effect when uh, when you guys were running out on the field. Uh, you know, they, they had an umpire that was designated to be out there to make sure that, you know, guys were getting too friendly and uh, how the game has changed. Uh, there's no umpire out there now to to, to, uh, to monitor anything. They're hugging each other and talking to each other. And, and uh, the courts, the celebrations that we used to keep to ourselves uh, back in that era, uh, they're displayed every every other pitch, you know, every other base hit. Somebody's celebrating. And uh, I'm I'm all for it. It's a it's a change in the game. Um, in the beginning, it's it's a it's it's a it's a new look, and it, it takes a while for you to uh, to get used to it. But it's much like now uh, having the metrics part of baseball just take over and run it. Um, it's uh, it's something that's here to stay until there's something else that comes along that's better. No, I agree with you. And, and when you said, you know, when it when you first see it, every every player now is a it's a brand they got to protect. And I think the word I think of when I first started seeing it in my generation, there was a little bit of celebration, but it was kept in check. Now it's carte blanche. And at first, it's kind of a shock to your system as an ex player. Like, wow, that guy's doing that. Um, but but you're right. It kind of after a while you get used to it. And I leave it to this, you know it's their game. The players today, you know, they talk about written rules, unwritten rules. It was different when I played. It was different when you played. Right. You mess up when you played, you're going to be wearing one in the ribs. And that's how we took care of business. It was an eye for an eye. But when I was asked that question, it was posed to me. I, I took a while and I thought about it. They said, Brett, what are the written rules and the unwritten rules and all that stuff? And I thought about it and I said, you know what? The unwritten rules are whatever the people that are major league baseball players now decide they are. And history will judge each and every one of our generations. Uh, so that's the way it is. If the guys today uh, want it to be like it is, then that's the way it's going to be. And who is Brett Boone, a 53-year-old ex-baseball player, to come in and say, no, that's not the way you play. You know, now I'm coming. Up, now I sound like my grandpa when I was playing. You know, Gramps would meet me after the game and go. Hey, Brett, uh, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that guy, how, how, how'd you, you know, how'd you do this off that particular guy? When I was playing, he would have been in the Coast League. And I said, Grandpa, give me a break. I said, the players are getting better and uh, they're going to continue to get better. But but that's the relationship I had with my grandpa. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Uh, uh, you, know, um, um, you know, in our era, if you got a big base hit off of, uh, uh, well, in particular, Bob Gibson, uh, I, I beat him a couple times, and uh, one time I chased him uh, with the base loaded double in St. Louis. And when I got to second base, I just kept staring out at the center field fence. And I knew I had chased him, and I didn't want, you know, Bob had a, Bob had, he was retaliatory. 
Okay, you know that if you showed him up, he was going to come back and get you the next time. And Drysdale was that way too, and there were others. But uh, I, we, we did not want to uh, embarrass those people. Uh, uh, um, today, I don't think it matters who who's out there. They're going to flip their bat. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. That's all part of the game. You know, pitchers do it too now. You know, they take. Uh, they start chewing bow and arrows out there. They start, you know, pumping uh, uh, their fists up and down when they strike out a guy to end the inning. Look, it's all it's all part of the showmanship of the game today. Um, yeah, in a way, I kind of wish we had been able to do a little bit more of that. Uh, I think we might have had just a little bit more fun with it. But as you say, whatever the players dictate. Uh, to, in today's game, it's what's going to happen. And uh, as long as uh, – and they seem to be pretty good with it. They seem to be all rolling with it pretty good. So uh, as long as, you know, you don't have guys coming out of the stands and, and coming out of the dugout and, and throwing stuff around, it, uh, you know, I'm good with it. Playoffs, you mentioned that Cubs teams. You went to the playoffs in, in 84 and you lost to the Padres. Yeah. You look at the setup today and, and – uh, of the playoffs. I mean, it's like now you got to go through four rounds of playoffs to get to the World Series and then play the World Series. In your day, you know, I mentioned earlier in the in the program, there was a West Coast and an East Coast, and that was it. You only had one round of playoffs, and then you went to the World Series. Yeah, and a best of five. Yeah, but it was <laughs> tough. Right, right. And it was tough to just get to the playoffs. I mean, obviously, four teams went. There's more teams now. I understand that. You know, now with the entertainment value, setting it up the way they do, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. But it's a long haul to get to that World Series now. All things being being equal, easier to easier to win a World Series now, easier to win the World Series then, or are there are there challenges for for both setups? Well, I mean, the more rounds of playoffs that you have, obviously the the odds uh, get worse for you. You know, somebody can always come along. You've seen teams that have been wild card inserts in the past that have won the world championship. You know, and and they have had to fight uh, their way through. They they had to start on the road. They were never going to host a championship uh, uh, a series uh, from the beginning. They were always going to start and have to uh, fight from the other side. They're always going to be on the road. Um, and uh, the the best of five, look, you play 162 games. There, you're, You have players that get hurt. It's like every, every other team does in the course of baseball season. You don't have time for these guys to heal. You've got to get them back as fast as possible. Now, because there are so many spots available for for wildcard teams you know we keep adding you know keep adding keep adding and it's all about the money and uh it's it, i gotta tell you that when we got into the best of five game series going to, to for the opportunity to play in the world series that first game is so important you can't afford to lose that first game now as i have said that uh we have done it both ways but it is extremely difficult in a best of five game series to lose that first game and and come back and win. Uh, it's that you don't have time for mistakes. You don't have time for a bad game. Uh, you lose one more, a tough game, a bad hop, a lost ball in the sun. 
you, 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 you have no room for error here. In a best of seven, you do have some room there. But uh, I, 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 I did not have an opportunity to play in this new system, so I, I'm really not qualified as such to respond to that. But I can tell you that, um, man, there's uh, th- th- that best of five game series uh, uh, was was really tough. It was a nail biter all the time. Yeah, and I go back and forth with it because I think, you know, mine was a little bit of a semblance. It was a little bit of a mixture. Uh, six to eight teams got six to eight teams got voted in or, or made the playoffs. Now it's it, it's many more. And, and I've wrestled with it. Like, do I like that? Does it cheapen the playoff experience? But then I thought on the other side, I was a baseball fan. It involves so many other cities down the stretch to make that September baseball Really exciting when when year in years past, you know, five or six cities would already be eliminated. Nobody be going to the games in September. There'd be nothing to play for. Now, all of a sudden, there's something to play for. And, and I don't know. I've gone back and forth. I, I like I don't like cheapening and just giving playoff bursts so people can say I went to the playoffs five times back in your day. Man, that was a big thing to get to the playoffs because there's only four teams. So I go back and forth with it. But I think having more cities involved is probably in the long run better for the health of the game of baseball. Oh, there's no question. That's the only reason why they did it. You know, can you imagine going back to the time that, that uh, when I was growing up and you had American League, National League, and you had, you know, maybe two or three teams that might be in contention, you know, in the middle of August. Right. And the rest of the teams are you know, it's wait till next year. And where's the fan base? The fan base has already now decided to watch football or whatever. Right. Right. And when they, when, when baseball got real smart, they got, they, 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 they made a three division thing. Then they added a wild card. Then they added another wild card. And as you've seen over the course of time, there are a lot of teams going down to the last week of the season that have an opportunity to slide in there as a wild card. And so, therefore, you've kept your fan base through the month of September. They haven't switched over to watching another sport. So, um, that's all money. It's all money. And it's money in the bank because now your your fan base is excited all the way through the entire season rather than giving up in the middle of August. So, yeah, uh, expansion was good uh, in, that, in that regard. Uh, uh, it, it certainly made a difference. Uh, you know, the, the, obviously the, the difficulty of, of, of playing so many postseason games uh, now uh, being in the mix, it does make it harder because you've got a, the team that's, you know, that's hungry. I mean, look, look at, look at uh, all, all these uh, teams, the, you know, look at where San Diego came from. San Diego was 26 games out or something like that, over 20 games out this year. They would have had no chance in the old school baseball. And yet, you know, they were able to beat the team who won the most games all year in the Dodgers in the playoffs. So uh, it, it, it's a it's a funny game. Uh, you know, you've got to you each and every time that you go to the playoffs, you're kind of hoping that you know, okay, I just hope that you know I'm ready to play good, really consistent baseball. I'm not falling into you know uh, a bad state of mind here. I'm not in a slump. You know, I'm I'm priming myself to be ready for postseason play, and it's hard to turn on and off. And it really is. And we've seen more and more wild wild card teams that have gone on deep into the postseason. 
And I think it's because in Tim Salmon, I had him on, on the show uh, that 2002 angels came. They, they uh, ran us down late in the season, the Mariners to, to, to take a playoff spot away from us. And they went on to win the world series. And I asked him about that. He said, you know, we were playing postseason baseball Booney for a month prior to everybody else. And then when we got there and, and it was like, Good luck getting to our level of, of adrenaline. We've been fighting and kicking and battling. You guys just easing into the playoffs. And he said, I think there's something to be said for that. Well, there's no question because I remember in 1977, you know, we ran off with the division. I mean, we were, we were, we were pretty much declared champions after the first two months of the season. Uh, and, and we had to try and hold that over a course of time. And I remember going into uh, the, the 77 playoffs mired in a, a huge slump. And I was not that confident. Uh, but Tommy had the confidence in me. And, of course, you kind of have to switch that whatever happened back here for the last three weeks or so off. Uh, it's a new beginning. And I was a veteran. So I should be able to, you know, counteract that a little bit. And I remember my first time up, you know, uh, and we're facing the Phillies at home, Steve Carlton's pitching. And um, I'm not in that great frame of mind. I know that I'm still kind of pressing. And my first time up, I hit a line drive right past Larry Boa, diving Larry Boa, and he almost caught it. And I'm just saying, wow, what a, what a, breath of fresh air that is to have one of those finally go through and then of course as the game went down the line uh later in the game i we were down five to one in the seventh inning and i hit a grand slam home run the first grand slam home run in national league championship here series uh history uh we tied the game but we lost in the ninth and uh, we were able to recover and come back and win. But, uh, geez, to uh, the next day, Dusty Baker actually hit the second Grand Slam. I think it was off Jim Lonborg that got us uh, off to a positive start. And uh, we were able to win that series three to one. But there was a, there was controversial plays, uh, that Philly game that was played in the rain, the the close play at first base uh, that was uh, highly controversial, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the walk-off game that we had in L.A. Um, I remember, uh, your, like I said, your dad being there. Um, you know, we, we, we beat a very good Philly team, uh, and uh, we, we had our hands full each and every time that we went out there. But uh, those were some really terrific memories of uh, being able to uh, – get to your final destination. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Awesome time in, in the game in 68. Uh, you signed in the phase two of the, of the draft. Uh, you, you went to the minor leagues. You played at a few places. I was, I was looking at, I mean, you hit Ronnie, you hit three thirty everywhere you went in the minor leagues. I know you played in Albuquerque. Uh, I was in the, I was in that, uh, that PCL and I was in Calgary. I don't know if Calgary was, was a team no. back when you were playing, but I do remember Albuquerque. It's been in the Dodgers organization forever. I mean, everybody's gone through there. Right. Uh, you got to the big leagues in 71. I uh, got your cup of coffee. You were finally, you, you got 595 at bats in 73 and, and kind of became a regular at that point for 74 to 79. You're an all-star every year. Uh, you broke in under Walter Alston. 
Now, that's that's a name for me, kind of like, well, he's a fictional character. What was that like, your first skipper, Walter Alston? Well, obviously, he had great success, and he had managed the team for 20-some years and, and won, won a world championship in uh, both Brooklyn uh, uh, and uh, Los Angeles. So his credentials spoke for themselves, but uh, for itself. And uh, But Walt was a quiet man. Uh, I, I learned quite a bit from him. We had two conversations of uh, importance um, when I was young. I had made a mental mistake uh, in a game, and um, it and it it I just hadn't been as prepared as I might have been. in a few years later, I hadn't gotten all those plays plugged in before they happened to know exactly what I'm going to do. And this one play comes up one night, and as it turns out, we got out of the inning. But you know, I felt badly about it. It, it put us in jeopardy a bit. And uh, after the game, Walt comes in and he goes over to my locker and he says, could you come into uh, my uh, my office tomorrow uh, when, when you come in? You don't have to come in early, but uh, just want to you know, talk with you about a few things. And so I said, sure, you know, I'll, I will come in early and uh, we'll have some time to talk. I said, fine. And I knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, I went home. I didn't feel real good about it. Uh, I felt like, you know, I might have to sit down. Um, but I go in there the next day and I'm, you know, ready for uh, whatever it's going to come down. And uh, right away, uh, uh, it's an eased, relay, eased atmosphere. Uh, he um, mentions, he says, you know, that play last night? <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, I really do. <laughs> and uh, we had a conversation rather than him schooling me on it. And uh, I took full responsibility for it. I said, I just, you know, I got turned around there for a second. It was totally on me. I, I, uh, I uh, uh, just made the wrong decision at that time. And trust me, I mm, hope that's not going to happen again. I'm going to do my best to make sure of that. And so we, we hashed it out and uh, it was all good. And when we got near the end of it, it was a short conversation, maybe five minutes or so. Uh, he says, uh, he says, well, he says, I know you probably, you know, didn't sleep too well last night. And you probably thought that you might be playing, not, not, might not be playing tonight, but you are, and you're going to be playing every day. So, uh, relax, uh, you know, uh, let's not have mental mistakes, uh, you know, cause us any damage. And I felt relief after walking out of there. I'm saying, wow. This is really kind of cool. And uh, that that established a relationship with me, knowing that, you know, he was on my side and uh, that I was going to have a chance to make some mistakes uh, and still not have to pay by, you know, sitting on the bench. And uh, it just it gave me more confidence, actually, you know. And then there was another time that came up. Uh, he calls me in and this was random. And what he says to me, he says, he says, look, you're one of the most uh, patient hitters we have. You're getting 90 walks a year. Uh, uh, what I would like you to do when we have runners in scoring position is expand your strike zone only if you're comfortable, because I want you to drive that run in. And if it gets past you, I'm not so confident that we can get that done. So, and he says, by the way, and he says, if anybody has anything to say about that, it's on me. 
So now I'm saying, wow, I just got carte blanche here to, you know, basically drive in this run any way that I can. And, uh, you know, I'd have to answer for it. And he said, look, if you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. But he says, if you feel comfortable, that's the key. And I did. And I didn't expand much, didn't have to expand much. But when I told Joey Amal Fatano, who was one of our coaches, that story, he says, oh, my God. He said, well, actually gave you this this green light. And he's, I said, he's the one who suggested it. And he says, well, he says, and he's, 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 he's sold on you. Yeah, this, this, this is going to work out great. This is an amazing thing that he just gave you the, uh, the ability to do. So I was quite pleased with it. And our relationship grew because of it. And, uh, you know, Tommy Lasorda, when he took over four years after I played for Walt, you know, Tommy's more of a hands-on guy. He's a rah-rah. He's going to hug you. He's going to kiss you. He's going to, going to know every member of your family and uh, that's just who he was they were complete opposites they both did a great job doing what they did but they were uh, completely opposite personalities very cool 74 you go to the world series against that those early 70s oakland teams which were really good teams you got be you got a chance to go to four world series uh right. 77 78 it, it was uh Kind of deja vu. You beat the Phillies, you lose to the Yankees. 81, uh, you finally beat the Yankees and 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 uh you're a World Series champion. Going into that 81 series, did you take those other the, those other three World Series and and you say, all right, we got to do it a little bit different this time, or was it just your time? I think it was just our destiny. You know, we kept knocking on the door. Uh you know, technically looking back on it. Uh, you know, 78, when we lost because of that interference call with Reggie Jackson game four, uh, if that play would have been looked at as it is today, uh, you know, we would have won that game and we would have had a 3-1 lead uh, uh, going into uh, the, the, the fifth game of which I know uh, based on uh, – just the, the the circumstances of it. I think we probably would have rolled through that next game, but it didn't happen. It just completely reversed the entire atmosphere of the whole World Series. And this game that that this controversial call came up was in the sixth inning. It was against Tommy John, and we had runners on base, and Reggie Jackson interfered with Bill, Bill Russell's throw to first base. He stuck his hip out. Right. Well, on that play, two runs scored. And then, of course, in the bottom of the eighth, they tied this game up with uh, two outs. We go into extra innings and we lose in 12 innings. So this has got bad taste all over the place. You know, we had a three nothing lead. We're cruising with Tommy John and uh, it just went south and. We did not get that out of our system before we even knew it. Uh, game five, we're down like four nothing early, and it's like, uh, have we started the game yet? You know, it's almost like, God, is this really happening? But we we didn't handle it very well, and we should have handled it better. Uh, and and you know, and that's that part of it's on us. But that is the uh, my my worst defeat in in my the history of my career as losing that series there. Uh, it, it just shouldn't have happened. And you know, if you look back on it, you know, if we would have just had 
some of the things that happened today in terms of instant replay, you know, we would have not won another world championship. I do believe that. We were in the driver's seat, but it didn't happen. But when we got to 81 and we came from behind in every series in the playoffs, uh, we were down 2 nothing in the World Series and then won the next four, swept them, and uh, walked away with it, brought the World Championship back to Los Angeles. Um, uh, it, was, it was a culmination uh, of a lot of great things. The four infielders were the first four hitters in the lineup that night when we won in Game 6, and Davey Lopes was the first to leave us in 1982. He went went to Oakland. And then Bill Russell and I and Steve Garvey played one more year with Steve Sachs at second base, and then Garvey and I left the, uh, the year after that. 81, you're an MVP with Pedro Guerrero and Jaeger. Three people you were co-MVP with in that World Series in 81. Right, yeah. Um, you know, certainly <clears throat> Pedro had a, uh, uh, a huge game in Game 5, Excuse me, game six. Uh, uh, the irony of it is, is that uh, uh, he drove in five of his runs pretty much after the game was over with. Uh, we, he helped put us ahead. But uh, uh, most of, of those stats came, you know, like we win this game nine to two. And uh, both Jaeger and, and uh, Guerrero had back back home runs off Gidry, and I think it was game, maybe it was game four. Um, I got hit in the head in game four. Uh, I went down uh, by way of a goose gossage fastball. Uh, actually, with game five, excuse me. And it was the last game before we were going to go back to New York. Um, and I, uh, under today's protocol, I would have been uh, boxed for the rest of the series. And I wouldn't have been able to play. And if that had happened, that would have uh, that would have hurt a lot worse than getting hit in the head by goose gossage. I'll tell you that. Uh, but it was left to me. I passed all the uh, the prerequisites to uh, to move forward with it. I did have a concussion. I had it for a month afterwards, a uh, little fuzzy here and there. I came out of the game in the sixth inning of game six uh, after I had gotten a base hit to put us ahead, led to the game-winning run, and then we added on to that. And the next inning, I went out there, and I had a little humpback liner uh, hit to me for the third out. And... Uh, it came to me uh, by way of a fuzzy tennis ball. And uh, when that happened, I just went to Lasorda and said, look, um, uh, you, you need to get me out of here. I uh, don't want anything to happen on my watch. We got a comfortable lead. Worst comes, worst case scenario. I'm ready tomorrow, but uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm having dizzy spells. So uh, he took me out. Daryl Thomas took over and then uh, Steve Howe, Induced Bob Watson to hit a fly ball to center field. Kenny Landro brings it in, and we walk home with the World Series. So it was a great moment for all of us. It was the culmination of, of eight and a half years of the infield playing together. We all got to celebrate that. It would be the last game that we would play together. There's a lot of uh, uh, emotion uh, that was attached to that game. And for the most part, we didn't really start thinking about it until after it was over. Wow, that was the final game. You know, in, in a way, though, it's kind of cool that yeah, that's absolutely. that that's how your final game. You went out. You couldn't go out on a higher note. Absolutely. Was that the year Fernando came into the league? Fernando came in in 1981. He had pitched uh, briefly in 1980. He came up at the end of the year and pitched a few innings and, uh, you know, did a, did a nice job. 
But uh, the beginning of the 1981 season, Fernando Valenzuela started the season off with eight wins in a row, eight complete games in a row, uh, that he pitched a complete game. Uh, those two things by themselves are ridiculous. Um, he ended up uh, winning the Cy Young, Cy Young Award and the Rookie of the Year, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, he certainly had, uh, you know, and it brought Fernando Mania uh, to uh, to uh, Dodger Stadium. And, you know, the, the irony of that, though, however, is we'd already drawn three million people. We were the first team in Major League history to do that in 1978. So uh, we were already, uh, 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 you know, breaking records before Fernando came in. But certainly when he did pitch, he was bringing a, a, a new – uh, group of Dodger fans to Dodger Stadium on the Hispanic side of things. And I think Walter Austin, excuse me, Walter O'Malley, um, because of his insight of coming west to Los Angeles and having uh, this uh, tremendous insight about how this is all going to work, would have been overwhelmed to have seen uh, his a Hispanic player of magnitude um, make the impression that he did and uh, Walter didn't. Walter did not get to experience. It. I think he would have been just absolutely overwhelmed with with, uh, with that. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about. It. I, I was just a kid, but I remember when Fernando came into the league, and it was kind of you know overwhelming. I I came in two thousand one. Uh, Ichiro Suzuki came over, and it was his rookie year with me in Seattle, and I just remember the fanfare that came with it, and the amount of press. Uh, you know. It, Fernando, the Hispanic community for each row, obviously the Asian community, Japan. Um, but it was it was as players. I, I don't know what it was like in that Dodger clubhouse. Dodgers, like like we mentioned earlier, a little bit different than the rest. You have a little bit more of a of a national coverage, just like the Yankees do. But I'll tell you, in Seattle. For that year, that first year, Ichiro came over. I mean, there were 50, 60 reporters every night in that locker room. What did Ichiro do today? Well, he he knocked, he hit one off the rosin bag and, and, and got another base hit, you know. But uh, it ended up being a, a historic year for us winning, winning all the games that we won. Um, but I, I've always been interested in because as a kid, I, from the outside, I was watching Fernando Mania, uh, what it was just like from the inside. Well, it was it was a nut house, you know. I mean, it was crazy. You know, we were getting a, 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 a you know, just like uh, you, you talk about Ichiro. <clears throat> what a what an unbelievable career this guy had. I mean, two hundred hits every year, hitting three forty, fifty, sixty, whatever. Uh, probably the best Japanese player we ever had. Uh, that came over. And Bobby Valentine used to tell me, he says, "Wait till you wait till you see this Ichiro Suzuki kid." He said, this, is, this kid is the, really going to change things. And he sure did. He opened the door. He's almost a Jackie Robinson of, of, of Japanese baseball. Or, you know, being, being able to open up the door. And if you want to go, uh, you know, back to Jackie Robinson, you know, there were black people all over the country who were scared to death that he would fail and it would close the door. But fortunately... You know, he made a huge impact, and then it just opened up the door. And here comes Larry Doby, 
He's now a Cleveland Indian in the second year behind that. Uh, doesn't nearly get nearly the praise that Jackie Robinson did, but certainly a person who, who was able to break that barrier. Uh, Ichiro was able to break the barrier. And we have we have Hideo Nomo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Nomo. Nomo was the first guy that came over and stuck. And Nomo was tough. I had many battles with Nomo. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were waking up Japan early in the morning uh, to watch baseball. We had more press than we could possibly imagine. Uh, we had Chanho Park after Hedo, Hedo, uh Nomo. And, and now we've got a Korean baseball player. So we were uh, delving into our international scouting and getting people to come and play. And it's just, it was just opened up huge doors uh, for us. And it was really uh, great to be able to uh, understand, uh, you know, the, the, the love of the game of baseball uh, being as much as it was in, in Japan and South Korea and whatever, um, uh, 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 we we uh, you know we've we've played enough games in Japan. We actually uh, hosted the Tokyo Giants in the time of Sadaharu O, and we played. Uh, he is the legendary, probably number one Japanese player of all time. He's he hit eight hundred and sixty something home runs. I have a bat with Henry Aaron and Sadaharu O on there. There's like sixteen hundred home runs on this bat. <laughs> But uh, I have an autograph ball from him. Uh, we got to play an exhibition game against them. They visited us two different times, and they outworked us. They outworked us. They were out there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they didn't shut down till 6 o'clock at night, <laughs> taking a 1,000 swings a day. Uh, I never really quite understood that because uh, you can find it, lose it, find it, lose it. You can't take a thousand swings it's just you you're not going to be having the same frame of mind the intensity uh to to the focus um and, and at the end of a thousand uh, swings i was always curious if i would be asking myself did i end up where i wanted to after this or am i still trying to find it uh, my God, that's a lot of swings. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's still a ritual, I guess. Uh, they do a lot of things differently, but they have improved their game enormously. You know, this world baseball classic coming up again. Um, they'll, they'll be, uh, one of the favorites, uh, again. Uh, you know, Mike Sosha, uh, just got back from managing Team USA and they lost in that championship game to the Japanese. So, uh, they, they've got a lot of quality players. They're good players. They're fundamentally sound. Yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned Larry Doby, too. Uh, you know, Jackie gets all the notoriety and, and you know, of course, a ton of praise should go to Jackie Robinson. But Larry Doby was that kind of underwhelming. Uh, my grandpa played with Larry Doby and my dad still has stories about remember being in the clubhouse, my dad being in the clubhouse with my grandpa and hanging out with Larry Doby. And, and I thought that I, I thought that was so cool. And the fact that you mentioned it, yeah, he doesn't get kind of his just due, but uh, he was a big part of, 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 uh, you know, that barrier. Yeah, he certainly was. And uh, you know, it was about time because the Negro leagues have had, you know, so many unbelievable players um uh in the past uh and and uh you know uh, you know satchel page 
and uh, you know all, 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 all these guys I can't even begin to remember them all uh, kind of clogging my brain for a second but uh, yeah and uh, you know yeah, Willie Mays played a little bit of those Negro Leagues too and uh, he was always my favorite player growing up um, of which I was able to play against my favorite player have a relationship with my favorite player and I remember this game uh, uh, in New York Shea Stadium when Willie was in his last year of his career I think it was 73 and uh, we're playing the Mets one night and uh, he hits a home run and uh, he's coming around the bases and he, now he's on his way to third and I put my glove over my face because I'm smiling and I'm saying God this is so cruel my my guy is has just hit a home run and I'd really like to shake his hand as he comes around but I didn't. But um, uh, I've had a chance to uh, spend some time with him in the past, and uh, it was a big thrill for me. I got a chance to see him play when I was 10 years old in Tacoma, Washington, when the Tacoma Giants were the AAA affiliate of the San Francisco Giants, and they played an exhibition game up there. And uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was too cool. It uh, th- This... Uh, this uh, this all has come to a, a, a fruition for me. All of the stuff that built up that uh, uh, came from a childhood dream that is now a, a dream again. It became a reality. Now it's a dream again. And uh, I have these memories though, and uh, and Willie was a big part of it. Very cool. Uh, you finished your career in Oakland in 1987. Great career. 261 career, 316 homers, over 1,100 ribbies. Um, I'll let you go after this. I want to do a little bit of a rapid fire with you. Okay, sure. Three guys you'd play to watch from your generation. Oh, boy. You know, uh, this is really kind of unfair, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got to play against, I mean, I got to play against Mays. I got to play, I, I, I played in all-star games with Henry Aaron. I played oh, in, Henry's one of my favorite all-time. Yeah, and Henry, Henry, I played in the game that he broke Babe Ruth's record. Uh, Willie McCovey, Juan Marichal, uh, Willie Stargell, uh, uh, Bob, uh, uh, Bob Gibson. I don't know if it's fair that I uh, that I make it three. I mean, uh, uh, my, you know, Mike Schmidt, the best, uh, the greatest third baseman in Major League history. Uh, he and I did battles. Uh, we were there. I remember playing against Mike in the in the in the Coast League. Uh, uh, you know, and he was a terrific player back then. He's why Bob Boone became a catcher. Do you know that? Exactly. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Don Vukovic too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's a lot of guys. I mean, that got pushed aside, you know, and, uh, and Schmidt, he was, he was, he was that good. You know, I mean, you you look at the the best third basements in baseball history and you're talking about probably uh, George Brett and, and, and Wade Boggs and Eddie Matthews. And, uh, you know, I, I think Adrian Beltre, you know, because of his, longevity and the, and the numbers that he was able to put up there at the end is going to be probably a top 10 
Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, Brooks Robinson is all, uh, all you know, going to be in that group. But Brooksy doesn't have quite the same numbers, which is kind of the odd part of it. Uh, uh, statistically, um, hell, I hit more home runs than Brooks Robinson did. And, you know, I, I, I have, uh, I will tell you that um, you talked about the 1968 draft. Um, uh, we, we had the Dodger team had the uh, the best uh, uh, draft in Major League history. Accordingly, uh, we had something like uh, ten guys off that draft that ended up playing in the Major Leagues. And I had the I have the highest ranking WAR of anybody in that entire group that we had as Dodgers that were signed, and I have the highest ranking of any player drafted in 1968. But, come across metrics and yet i got no consideration for the hall of fame um i also have if you were to interchange numbers with ron santo and i based on a 162 game schedule you would have a tough time picking out which is which so i don't know exactly how i got lost in the shuffle as badly as i did but getting back to your original question i i you know, uh, Mike Schmidt is probably going to be recognized as the top third baseman in baseball history, probably top 25, maybe all time because of his, uh, uh, I, I, I don't, because of his overall uh, statistics, 500 and some home runs, all that. Uh, I would have to put, you know, because I played against him, even though it was briefly, you know, Aaron and Mays. Um, you know, it's just too, it's just too hard. There's uh, players aside, uh, you know, McCovey, I mean, 521 home runs. Um, it's, it's too hard for a, a, a pick. Uh, but, um, I, I was fortunate. I was, I, I, I got to face some of the greatest players that this game has ever seen. And that is a thrill beyond itself. You know, and to have relationships with all the the players that were Dodger all time greats. Uh, you know, Koufax and I were were close when I first got here, uh, primarily because of our wives being close together. Uh, we used to hang out, and uh, I mean, that's you know, here's the new kid on the block, and he's hanging out with Koufax. You know, uh, Bill Russell was hanging a lot with uh, with with Don Drysdale, um, it just felt great. You know, our, our, our past players used to come to spring training in uniform. They loved to be around us. We loved having them there. It doesn't happen that way anymore. It's just such a shame. And the I, I, I think you, you hit on a good point there. I think that is so important and, and such a cool thing when players of, of, of the past show up. I think it's so cool for a grandpa and a father and, and a grandson to go to a game and maybe one day look out on the field and see somebody that represented their era. Hey, you should have seen this guy played, you know, and he might be over there in uni leaning on a fungo. I think bringing the history of the teams, the Yankees do a great job with it. Yes, but, they do. but I, but I don't think the Phillies are starting to do a better job with it, but I just think, I think it should be something that every organization does. It just, it, it makes that experience so much cooler for the fan. Well, you know, uh, uh, I, th- this, th- this is fact, uh, in our era of baseball, we, we created quite a stir and we are still legendary in our organization. 
the we have people it's a hand-me-down you know your dad your grandfather you know the friends everybody connected everyone went to watch baseball games right there are people still going to Dodger games because of what we did back then because they turned their kids on to going to Dodger games their families grew those kids now are taking their kids to the ball game they are there in fact because of what we had going at the time and i think that it is extremely important that people understand the history and tradition of the game uh it's it's part of what makes things roll it can't be all about money right i mean i i didn't yeah. get this game back then because they were tossing around contracts like they are today uh, I did it because uh, this is what I really love to do. I wanted to do it. I, I was probably eight, nine years old when I remember having the only epiphany that I've ever had in my life, saying uh, at, a, at a Little League game at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and it was probably 70 degrees out, felt great, and I walked to the plate, and I'll remember this the rest of my life. Wouldn't it be great if I could play baseball like this every single day? And that was it. Uh, it just opened up, and and now I have this childhood dream awaiting me, and I get my opportunity, and I make it last for a long time, and it's become uh, a dream again. But um, I, uh, I I have always told kids, uh, anybody that would listen, follow your dreams regardless of what it is. You know, don't don't have don't be asking questions at the end of it, saying, you know, I wonder what if. And if you give yourself a chance and if you if you fail because you weren't good enough or because you had something else that took its place, at least you gave yourself an opportunity to find out by yourself. And I think that's important. But I do feel like, you know, we our, our, our whole country is centered around sports entertainment. Everybody lives for sports. We, we have moments of despair and we want to get away from things. What do we do? We engorge ourselves with, you know, sporting events. We got a favorite team, a favorite player. And I, I think it's great. I really do. I, I, I love it. I love the fact that, you know, I was finally able to, at a very young age, finally come to terms with Willie Bays being my favorite player. Yeah. It is. And, and the history you mentioned, it is the history. Because believe me, I'm one of the most spoiled kids in the history of Major League Baseball. That The life I got to live and, oh, and yeah. be around all those great players. And when I was a kid, it it wasn't a big deal to me. It's like, no, this isn't this what every kid does? He gets to go to work with his dad. And I hang out with Pete and Schmitty and Bull. And, and then right. when, when my dad went to the Angels, I hung out with Reggie and Bobby Gritch. And, and that just was my life. <clears throat> but I remember little moments as I grew older and, and this started to become a thing that I was going to do professionally. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember this. I was a freshman at USC. It was 1988. We had a home run derby at Dodger stadium. And I think it was me against Ron say and Davey Lopes in a home run derby. Do you remember it? Uh, I remember playing a game against USC uh, sometime in January, right? When yes. Before yes. training started, right? Yes. We had some January workouts, and I didn't really uh, want to go to a lot of those uh, uh, because I didn't hit during the off season. Right. And uh, I just wanted to kind of go down there and, you know, take a few swings and take some throws and some ground balls and whatever. Um, that was the way we kind of did things back then. 
Um, but yeah, I do remember something like that. But uh, I do remember playing a game, uh, and I think I I I, I got I I I, snuck, I I stayed around for one at bat, and I got a base hit off some left hander that you were throwing through. Don't remember what his name. <laughs> Bor 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 uh, Bordley. Was there a Bordley or Bradley or some pitcher? Well, like I think that? there was a Bradley. Yes, Bradley. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, but we we had a home. You probably won because I I, I did. I beat you, <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. I'm going to go because yeah. that was the first time um, in my life. Like I said, I was a spoiled kid when it came to yeah. being around the game. But as you get older and you and you start to grow up and you the writing's on the wall and my next step was going to be to sign and right. and go on and and play in the big leagues for a long time. Right. But it started to hit me and I remember doing it and going, you know, <laughs> this is cool. Because now I'm just a I'm I'm with everybody else. I'm in the grind. I'm playing division one baseball and my next step is playing professional baseball. And now I'm I'm hitting in a home run derby against uh, Ronnie say and, and uh, Davey Lopes. And for the first time I thought, okay, now this is cool where I didn't just kind of take it to, for granted. Like I did as a kid. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it becomes real uh, at a point. Uh, you know, you're uh, uh, you know, I, I made so many sacrifices, you know, I didn't go fishing with my dad. I didn't go to you know camping trips with the family. I, now nah, I'm going to stay home and play some ball. When I was in grade school, uh, probably fourth grade. So I'm 10 years old, uh, during recess, I used to, uh, take the balls, softballs and, uh, uh, two guinea pigs, uh, and go out and, and hit for 15 minutes in the rain and the mud and I used to think that when it rained in Tacoma, Washington, that it rained every place else in the world. And uh, later thereafter, I found out that uh, in California and Texas and Arizona and Florida, these kids are outside playing uh, playing ball. And I thought I was I had a leg up because I said during this period of time, all these other wimps are in playing in the basement playing tetherball. And uh, that that was my mentality back then. My my naivete kind of uh, uh, it kept me away from the realization of saying, I think you really don't understand things very well, but yeah. uh, work is a motivation for me. And I just had this dream. It just, it just happened. And, uh, you know, I was able to make it happen. So look, if it happened for me, it can happen for someone else. Well, Ron say, I appreciate you coming on the, the boom podcast. There's a lot of fun catching up, but I always like, uh, talking to the, the guys of, of, dad's generation and and uh because the, the the memories are so fond for me that's my childhood will always be my favorite time i loved my career that was great playing but but i still some of my fondest memories are a kid as a kid watching you guys play so i appreciate it great career all the best of luck and uh as we do each and every boone podcast at the end of the boone podcast we kick it back to the voice of the Boone Podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to wrap it up for the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer, and voice of the Boone Podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever 
platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Moon Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.